0: I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. you or prohibited by law. See Terms and Conditions
1: 18 plus. Morning, and welcome to Let's Talk Money. I'm your host today, Nicole Goble, along with my colleague, Samantha Macy. We're really happy to be with you on this beautiful sunny morning in the Capital Region. Um, As you heard from our introduction, we do have a number of wonderful advisors with our team and so Samantha and I are so happy to be here with you this morning. Sam, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Absolutely. Hello everyone. My name is Samantha Macy and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. For those of you meeting me for the first time, I'm one of the wealth advisors at Boucher Financial Group, and I've been with the firm for just a little bit under two years now. In my role, I do a lot of financial planning and portfolio management for clients, and I passed my CFP access exam just last year, and I have my MBA as well. And in addition to my regular wealth advisor uh, responsibilities, I'm also the marketing coordinator for the firm where I help manage and produce our marketing content like webinars, blog posts, and other marketing
1: initiatives. So,
2: Nicole, thank you for having me on with you today.
1: Of course, thanks Samantha. And I'm Nicole Goble, a CPA and wealth advisor here with the team at Boucher. We have a great show planned for you. We're gonna be talking about what's been happening in the market thus far this year and certainly this week. We're gonna be giving you some updates around changes to 529 plans, things to think about during this tax time as you're prepping your own returns or working with your tax preparer but most importantly we want to hear from you so if you have a question we would love to hear from you give us a call at 800-TALK-WGY that's 800-825-5949 so without further ado I will uh, talk to you a little bit about what's happened this week so you know although we had some ups and downs this week based um on in and economic information coming out, you know, really the the market closed relatively flat, right? The Dow Jones and the S&P 500, so more of the broad market and value-driven indexes closed down slightly, whereas the NASDAQ still posted gains of about 0.6% for this week. You know, so again, nothing to write home about here. You know, when we look at these numbers in total for a week, you know, basically we're in the same place we were uh, a week ago. Um, Same with the international markets, up slightly, but again, certainly lagging the uh, U.S. index, the NASDAQ for the year, slightly above the Dow and the S&P 500. You know, bonds are another story. You know, we are still seeing, you know, very strong bond yields, as I know Steve and the rest of the team have talked about on the radio, and that's where we're seeing some really attractive ways to get, you know, four, four and a half, even close to 5% for our clients in something, you know, very safe however as we've talked about many times as we continue to expect additional interest rate increases bond prices go down so that so that's where again your yield or you know the return you're getting on them is higher is that they're selling still for a discount or, or below their par value you know oil too was down on the week so you know looking in that in total again what happened this week? As I mentioned, these results are really based on you know, strong numbers from the economy again. Um, inflation is still coming down, right? What we call disinflation just at a slower pace than anticipated. So inflation this week, right, went from six point five to six point four percent from the last month. And core inflation from 5.7 to 5.6. The good news, this is the seventh straight month that inflation has decreased since June of 2022 when it hit its peak over 9%. But it is still higher than the estimates. You know, what are the areas that we still need to work on? Well, housing. And we talked about this a lot, and Marty spoke about it at the State of the Economy presentation we did for our clients. Uh, That webinar is available right on our website at www.boucher.com. But really, you know, housing and if you think about that, right, that is kind of a lagging uh, measure because it's it's looking at rental rates. And of course, when somebody locks in a rental rates, often that's, you know, at least a one year time frame that they're locking in that rental rate. So the numbers that we're seeing, again, are kind of going to be in place for the next year or so. So we anticipate maybe those numbers coming down towards the summer you know, and also wages. so wages did come down slightly, you know from from the perspective of where it was at its peak, but we are still seeing that uh, in a place where the Fed feels they're going to need to do some more work. The other big economic number that came out this week and was a surprise was retail sales, right? So again, we saw in the fourth quarter less spending than anticipated around the holiday season, but You know, the question is, okay, well, where did this 3% increase come from compared to the 2% expected? Well, some of the areas, auto sales, restaurants, furniture, auto sales, I know that um, my husband and I bought a a new GMC Canyon as we needed to replace a car and had been putting that off for quite some time. So we were part of that auto sale number personally. But really, those were some of the places that we saw an increase. And so maybe what caused that, you might wonder, right? So some of the things, again, maybe people cut back a little bit before the holidays with the uncertainty and with the Fed still raising interest rates and and saying, OK, I'm not sure what it looks like, you know, heading into this next year. However, the market's been doing well. We had a Social Security crisis. Uh, cost of living increase that was, you know, very substantial. We've also had warmer weather, especially in the Northeast. So people are still out there shopping. So when we think about those factors, right, any of them could lead to that higher retail sales number. But the important thing to remember about this is consumer spending is over 70% of our gross domestic product of our GDP. So, so the consumer goes, so does the economy. So that's a good number, But again, what we get concerned about is that that's signaling to the Fed they have to do some more rate hikes to slow down the economy. Again, we want to hear from you, so give us a call, 800-TALK-WGY, that's 800-825-5949. So bringing it back to the Fed for a moment, uh, right now, you know, there is the expectation that in March and in May, we're going to see another 2.25 Two point two five increases that 's really the consensus expected, however, with these new economic numbers with higher than expected inflation and higher than expected retail sales, now about fifty percent of the market is expecting that the Fed might continue rate increases into June with another quarter point. All right. What does this mean? It means that that would be the equivalent of the Fed raising their target rate from what was expected to be about 4.9 to 5.3, right? And that's higher than what they came out with in their last meeting earlier this month. So again, something to think about. Unfortunately, right now we're in this conundrum of good economic news means, you know, the Fed may need to still do more work on really making you know tightening lending and making rates higher and less affordable but at the same time we are moving in the right direction we're going to take a quick break but please join us again you're listening to let's talk money brought to you by boucher financial group where we help our clients prioritize their health while we manage their wealth for life Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Money. I'm your host today, Nicole Gobel, CPA and Wealth Advisor here at the Boucher Team with my colleague, Samantha Macy. So one thing I just wanted to touch on is the performance we've seen year-to-date. So I mentioned, you know, pretty much markets were flat on the year, but, uh, sorry, on the week, but year-to-date, right? We've seen some phenomenal returns out of the stock market, right? The Dow has lagged at 2%, which is understandable because, again, given the name, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that's much more value-driven, whereas growth has really outperformed um, this year thus far. The S&P 500 up 6.2%, but the NASDAQ, again, that growth in technology that Steve and our team have been invested in for many, many years, is up 12.6%. Now, this is the converse of what happened last year, right? So last year, we saw that... The defensive industries, such as consumer staples and healthcare and utilities, really outperformed the rest of the market. And we did move our clients into those sectors, so that was certainly a good idea, and we got some great performance out of those sectors last year. Also, energy, right? We were in energy starting at the end of, you know, or mid 2021 and that did great for us and we started selling out of that last year and thus far this year right those are the only underperforming sectors and when we look at again kind of that what is doing the best it's really you know information technology communications consumer discretionary you know which again you kind of scratch your head and say but wait if we're in a recession or heading into a recession these are not the types of companies that typically do well right you typically look to put your funds into something safer so to speak those value companies or what we talk about as quality companies strong balance sheets and you know not as sensitive to lending and to interest rates however this thus far this year the growth companies have really taken off so that's where again for from our perspective to be a prudent wealth manager. You really need to look at that full picture. So, you know, while we still hold on to some of those defensive industries, and we do feel like there is more volatility to come, you know, we've, we've simply trimmed them back, but we've continued to remain invested on the growth side of our portfolio, even through all of last year. So we're also poised for this nice, you know, bump we've seen in continued recovery. And as I talked about before with bonds, you know, we have seen, you know, treasury yields be very, very attractive compared to the rest of the market. You know, we continue to look at corporate bonds as well, but really municipal bonds, although they are the right choice for some clients that might be in the highest tax bracket, the difference in the tax exempt yield, the lower yield you're getting there versus the taxable yield on treasuries or, cor- or investment grade corporates right now, Doesn't make sense for most people. So, we have not seen that market recover as quickly. So, again, we look at this for every one of our clients' situations. But, you know, again, it is interesting to see that this first part of the year, the growth industries have outperformed. So, we hold both. And again, we made some great moves for our clients last year to include those defensive industries. But right now, you know, we're in a position where we like that well diversified portfolio, we like those good quality companies. And we are finally seeing that 60-40 growth in income portfolio do well again because we are getting those 4 to 5% yields on the bond side that had been zero uh, in the past. So now I'm going to pass it off to Sam for a minute. You know, one of the things we keep hearing from clients are, you know, questions around their stock compensation. Uh, So do you want to share just a little bit of some of the work we're doing with our clients around that topic? Sure, yes. So we are
2: very excited about this. We are rolling out a webinar open to anyone that would like to attend titled How to Maximize Your Employer Stock Compensation. It's going to be presented on Wednesday, March 1st at 11 a.m. And again, it's open to the public. If you think you're interested, please feel free to sign up. I'll explain how to sign up in a little bit. But really this webinar will be helpful for people that have Employer Stock Options, Restricted Stock, Employer Stock Purchase Plan. We'll be discussing how to maximize your compensation and bring to light some tax considerations that many people overlook. So if you have questions around how to optimize the timing of your stock awards, minimize the taxes, or even when to begin diversifying out of them, it would be a great webinar for you to consider signing up for. It's going to be presented by Nicole, actually, and our colleague, Vincenzo Testa, who's also a CPA and CFP. And you can sign up right on our, webina- or on our website. Sorry, So just go to Boucher.com, and on our homepage, there's a button that you can click to sign up right
1: there. Nicole, anything you'd like to add about the content? <laughs> Yes yeah, so again, we have so many clients who come to us, and um, it's unfortunate what we see is that the companies that are providing these awards to their employees are not really giving much direction on what they should be doing so so you know basically, if we're looking at um, a client who's receiving stock options, they often are not getting any guidance from their company as to what they should be doing around tax elections, around diversifying. So that's something that we get concerned about because we wanna make sure that they're making educated decisions. So we're here obviously for each of our clients with their personal situations, but we found that there are many people out there that are not necessarily working with a fiduciary or getting that unbiased uh, approach, right? Unfortunately, we see many financial professionals that you know are interested in commissions. Thankfully, we don't work in that world, so that we're not getting commissions. We're not going to tell somebody that they should divest out of all of their stock awards so that they can invest their uh, funds with us. Instead, we're looking at that long-term picture, and we're helping them to determine again when something vests obviously that happens if it's restricted stock and you're receiving those shares but making sure you're planning appropriately for taxes for that year and you're not owing interest in penalties for stock options again if you're exercising are you exercising and simultaneously selling those shares so that you're not coming out of pocket but again that's ordinary income if that's non-qualified stock options and that's added to your W-2 so we've had a number of clients come to us and say I don't know why my W-2 has all of this, these extra funds on it, because that's not my salary, and it's because they exercised stock options and didn't understand in advance how that was going to be reported. And, you know, that brings me to another topic. It is tax time, right? And and people are receiving their tax documents. They're doing, you know, their taxes on TurboTax. They're going to their tax preparer or CPA. And one important thing to think about is, If you exercised stock options, and again, we're talking about, in this case, maybe non-qualified, there should be a box on your W-2 that has a code uh, V in box 12. And that is showing you that's the amount of your wages, right, the number in box 1 on your W-2 that's related to those stock options. Why I bring that up is, in some cases, if you sold that at a custodian, right, we use Schwab as an example, but Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or E-Trade, You want to make sure that if you did that simultaneous exercise and sale, there wasn't any substantial gain or loss on that, right? And gain really is what I'm concerned about. Because sometimes that custodian is not adding to your cost basis on that tax form, the 1099B, what you already pay tax on on your W-2 so this this is something that we 've seen that people have paid double tax before because their tax preparer is not aware that this can happen, and again, most custodians have corrected this and have gone back and and begun to report it correctly. But if you have questions, you know take a look at that you can feel free to call our office as well, but you want to make sure that you 're not getting double taxed on the amount that 's already on your w two if uh, again you did a simultaneous exercise and sale, that gain or loss should be very, very minimal because it's happening within minutes. Some other things to think about as it is tax time. Right, it's you still have time if you are under the income limits to fund a traditional or Roth IRA for 2022 through, you know, the tax day this year. So for last year, for those under 50, the amount was $6,000 or $7,000 if you're over 50. For this year, 2023, the new limits have increased to $6,500 and $7,500. Right? It is also a new tax year. So when we think about planning, if you've done backdoor Roth conversions before, so that's bunding your Roth with a non, or your traditional IRA with a non-deductible contribution and immediately converting to your Roth if you're above the income limit to make a direct Roth contribution, here's a new year you can do that in. And again, speak with your advisor or your tax preparer to make sure that strategy is right for you. But you know, again, also Roth conversion, something that Sam and I hear from our clients all of the time. You know, Is this uh, something that I should be thinking about? Is this a good opportunity? Well, we're in a new tax year now. So for many of my clients who retired last year, I said, hold off. Yes, the market's down. So from a market timing standpoint, it's great to move money from your IRA to a Roth when the market has been down and you can pay tax on less and see that that grows back to the all-time highs we saw before and further. However, because you worked last year, you may be in a higher income tax bracket than you will in the future. Well, now we're in a new tax year. So something to reconsider and see because yes, the market's done very well this year thus far, but we are certainly not back to where we were at the end of 2021. Sam, do you want to just mention for a minute uh, qualified charitable distributions?
2: Absolutely. So qualified charitable distributions are a great way to strategize with when you need to take your RMD. So essentially, you're taking a distribution from your IRA that goes directly to a qualified charity. It does not go to you, and so the check will be written out directly to the charity, and it comes out tax-free. And what's great is it also qualifies towards your RMD if you're of age. And so it's a great strategy for people that
1: are already charitably inclined and need to pay their RMD in that year. Thanks, Sam. And, you know, so thinking about as we're in, again, that new tax year, if you're starting to make your charitable contributions, and I know many people, you know, have it set up so maybe they're doing that monthly uh, or maybe quarterly. So think about that. If you do have to take a required minimum distribution this year, speak with your custodian, speak with your advisor. But going back to the tax reporting, make sure you're communicating that to your tax preparer the year after you do that because on your 1099-R form that you get for those IRA distributions it's going to still include that full amount that went to charity so that's really a manual adjustment you need to make on your tax return and we find many times if again a client does not tell their tax preparer their CPA to make that adjustment, they're not getting the tax benefit so again always feel free to call our office with questions but you want to make sure that uh, you're communicating that or reporting that correctly on your own tax return. You know, <clears throat> one thing you know I know we're going to talk about in uh, the next half is is really about 529 plans. You know, but just talking very briefly from the tax perspective. You know, just make sure again that you're getting that form that shows that you've paid tuition in the year so that any 529 plan distributions that you took in that year are coming out, you know, again, tax free. Again, so make sure you're having that kind of matching tax form to any of the distributions. Same with your health savings account. Again, you'll get a form showing if you made contributions or the value of your account, but make sure you're reporting it correctly so none of that is taxable to you and you are, again, taking those uh, funds tax-free. So uh, please, we'd love to hear from you at 800-TALK-WGY with any questions. Again, that's 800-825-5949. We do have uh, you know, a lot to talk about. Again, you know, if you have a question around tax documents you've received, strategies that you want to use this year about the financial markets. We talked about what's been going on in the stock market and the bond market and the economy. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question around, you know, whether one of those strategies is right for you. So again, a backdoor Roth, something that only makes sense really if you don't have any substantial balance in a traditional IRA, right? If you've worked at the same company for many years and all of your balance is tied up in that employer retirement plan, and you have no traditional IRA balance, but you're a high earner, that's a perfect strategy for you to be able to save funds into a Roth IRA without, again, any tax uh, implications. And Roth conversions, again, it really depends on the circumstance, but especially for clients that are kind of early in retirement, so they might not be utilizing... Um, you know, receiving pension or social security as of yet. Uh, they may only be using their taxable funds, and not withdrawing from their IRAs thus far. That is you know potentially a low tax year where you can take some funds from your IRA, move it to a roth, and lower your future RMDs and tax rate. Well, I think we're coming up to a break. So again, give us a call afterwards. Uh, we'd love to hear from you at 800-TALK-WGY. You're listening to Let's Talk Money, brought to you by Boucher Financial Group, where we help our clients prioritize their health while we manage their wealth for life.
0: With lucky
2: landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today
0: to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Money. I'm your host this morning, Nicole Goebel, a CPA Wealth Advisor, and I forgot to mention also now a certified divorce financial analyst. So while we joke that we hope none of our clients need to use my services, you no, know, I have helped many clients over the years uh, through divorce and uh, certainly can advise on that side of uh, your financial uh, life as well. I also have my colleague Samantha Macy with me, who is um, a CFP MBA, and you know she's really works with a lot of our clients on the financial planning side. And Sam, you shared with me recently an interesting question uh, that one of your clients had. Yes,
2: yeah, So in a recent conversation, this was actually towards the end of 2022, I had a client ask me, "Should I use my 520?" 29 plan to pay for my child's college this year, even though performance is down. So, Nicole, can you talk a little bit about the planning and the tax implications of this?
1: Certainly. So, and I've had that same question before where, you know, I've had a client who saved for college for their daughter and then, you know, when it came time to, you know, take that distribution, you know, they did have cash flow, they were in a good cash flow position. So at that point they said, you know, I don't know that I want to pull from the 529 plan because it is down 20%, right? And and that's certainly something we look at when we're talking about the entire portfolio for a client is not wanting to pull a large lump sum out unnecessarily, you know, again, if the market's down and we know long-term that's going to come back. However, with 529 plans, there are a couple things to consider. So uh, if, again, you don't take funds out in the same year that you're paying tuition, there is kind of a tax reporting problem because, again, you're going to get that Of tax form, the 1088, that's showing you you pay tuition in one tax year, but if you take a distribution in the next year, again, that's not going to match. And so, technically, when we looked into kind of how you'd report that, it could be an issue longer term if, uh, again, later on, you're left with taking a distribution um, or more distributions in a tax year than the tuition can support. So that's one thing to to think about. And again, it's also thinking about, you know, where can you pull from uh, if, again, in this case, this uh, person had cash flow, so it's not as if they were taking from another investment account. So I would say certainly if you're going to have to pull the money out of something else uh, versus the 529 plan, using the 529 plan makes sense. However, you know, the other question we we also hear is about funding 529 plans and what if i have more money left over what if my child doesn't need those funds because they get a scholarship you know isn't it too restrictive and i should instead you know save money for my children or grandchildren in a more flexible account so i know uh, sam you've been um doing some writing on this topic for an upcoming blog so do you want to share with us again kind of Really, what are the possibilities if you have leftover funds after paying for college?
2: Yes, absolutely. So as Nicole was just saying, we, we will often hear hesitation with opening and funding a 529 plan for fear of overfunding and what if there are leftover funds. And there are situations where that might happen. So we're going to kind of walk through some options that you have for what to do with those leftover funds. And, you know, a few common reasons that this could happen is your child receives a substantial scholarship. You know, maybe they get an academic scholarship or an athletic scholarship, and they don't need the extra financial help, so they don't need the funds in their 529 plan. Another um, thing that could cause leftover funds is they chose a college that is more affordable than expected. Maybe they go to a SUNY school instead of a private school that you were expecting to pay for, so you have excess funds saved. And lastly, maybe your child doesn't go to college or a trade school and they don't use those funds. So we're going to talk through some of the options that you have for what to do in any of these situations or maybe other ones that have come up. So the first one that I'll bring up, which you know, it might be the most obvious to you is simply withdrawing the funds for non-qualified expenses. So for non-education related expenses. Now, if you do this, the funds that you pull out for the non-qualified expense, the earnings will be taxed as ordinary income and you'll be subject to a 10% penalty. However, your contributions are never taxed or penalized because they were your contributions, they were after tax dollars. But before considering doing this option, we're going to provide you with some other strategies that are probably more beneficial to you and the beneficiary on the account.
1: So, the so first, Sam, oh, go ahead. no. So Sam, you mentioned you know one of the possibilities of a scholarship. So in that case, you know. Obviously, of no fault of your own, your child is brilliant, right? So (laughs) shouldn't you have access to those funds if, you know, they did go to college, but they weren't needed? Yes, and that's exactly right.
2: So if your child does receive a scholarship, you are actually able to take a penalty-free scholarship withdrawal from your 529 funds. So if they receive the scholarship, you're able to take the equivalent amount out penalty-free. And this also applies to people that receive um, their schooling paid for through U.S. military academies. And, you know, God forbid that someone passes away or becomes disabled, you also have access to those funds. However, you are still responsible for paying ordinary income taxes on any earnings above your original contribution. It's just penalty-free.
1: And, you know, also, you know, think about it. It's not just tuition that these 529 plans can pay for, you know, whether it's books, whether it's a computer, but also one thing people don't know about sometimes is off-campus housing. For example, if, again, you know, obviously if you're getting a bill from the college and your child is staying on campus, you know, that certainly will be, we will be part of the funds that you're paying but if as you know they get into their junior senior year they go off campus you might think oh well i have to pay for that with cash flow well actually most colleges will post on their website an equivalent of what you're able to take out of a 529 plan towards off-campus housing so again there's a number that you have to to abide by it's not as if you can you know, purchase a, an amazing apartment for your child and take all of those funds out of the 529 plan. But again, it is something that people sometimes forget about is paying for off-campus housing is allowable as well. And Sam, I know more recently, they added an option around student loans. Exactly. So, you know, really 529 plans have
2: become extremely flexible. And since the passing of the SECURE Act of 2019, so not the SECURE Act 2.0, but the one of 2019, a beneficiary can use a 529 plan. So the beneficiary is the child or the spouse, the family member that the account is linked to, to pay off a portion of the student loans up to a maximum of $10,000. So this is another good use. If there are student loans attached to this person, then you can use your 529 plan to pay a max of $10,000. The student loan principal and interest payments are both considered qualified education expenses, but the portion of student loan interest paid for with tax-free 529 plan earnings is not eligible for the student loan interest deduction. And that's important to note.
1: And I know many people, you know, once they start working, are not getting that deduction anyway, and it's a very small deduction. So certainly if you can access those funds, it would be worthwhile. Now, I know another thing we talk about with our clients is the ability to change beneficiaries. So do you want to just talk a little bit about, you know, that flexibility as well?
2: Yes, so 529 plans do offer quite a bit of flexibility with changing your beneficiary, there actually aren't any rules establishing how many times you can with the beneficiary. So it's a great benefit to you. Many people don't realize that you can change your 529 beneficiary to another family member. And it's really flexible by this family member definition. It could be a child, sibling, first cousin, a grandparent, aunt or uncle, or even yourself. So if for some reason your child didn't use all the funds and you were going to go back to school, you could switch the beneficiary to yourself and use it for your future schooling. Now, this can be a huge benefit, especially if, let's say, one of your children didn't use the full account because they received a full athletic scholarship. So they receive it, their room and board is covered, their books, so they don't need to touch their 529 fund. Now, if you have a second child and you, as they go to approach college, it turns out they're not going to receive as much aid, you can then switch the account beneficiary to that second child, and they can use those funds. So this really does give you great flexibility to keep using the benefit of a 529 account with tax-free uh, distributions towards education, and keep that within your family unit. So all the money that you've saved still goes towards your family. Nicole, I know they talked about this concept in your tax and estate planning conference that you went to recently, and with the ability to change beneficiaries to a family member, this actually is a great tool for legacy planning as well.
1: Can you speak a little bit about that? Yes, that's right, Sam. So it's very interesting. Um, you know, something that estate attorneys are looking at, and and certainly myself as a CPA and tax planner, is you know what are the best type of assets to leave to your heirs. So we get that question all the time from our clients, and there's different rules. And, and Sam and I did a distribution planning webinar last fall. Uh, that's again a webinar posted on our website, but you know, you wanna think about, well, what is going to be the most advantageous for you to spend down during your lifetime versus to leave to your children if leaving a legacy is important to you? So with, for example, a traditional Roth IRA, there could be with the traditional IRA, income tax implications, but also with that SECURE Act originally at the end of 2019, Sam mentioned, you have to spend those down or withdraw the funds within 10 years for most beneficiaries. A brokerage account is a, a great option to leave um, to your children because that gets a step-up in cost basis. However, again, that's something that often people spend down during their lifetime because it's um, most advantageous to, advantageous to them um, to pay lower taxes again during their lifetime. But a 529 plan is really interesting because, as Sam mentioned, if you can continue to change beneficiaries... If you've funded it and it has not been utilized, you can continue to again fund that and pass that on through generations right so it almost can be used as a you know trust for uh, education going forward, and so that 's really something to think about is again, if you fund it for your child and they don 't fully use it, it can be changed to your grandchild if even at that point, right, you can change the owner when something, um, you can have a successor owner on the account. So now um, if you're the grandparent, you can make your child the successor owner upon your passing. And then, you know, really they can do the same thing for generations to come. So again, it's just something to, to think about when, you know, funding 529 plans is there is just so much flexibility even through generations. So I think we're going to take a quick break here, but please join us. We're going to talk about the new option of funding Roth IRAs with 529 plans when we come back. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Money with Boucher Financial Group. I am your host this morning, Nicole Goebel, CPA, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst and Wealth Advisor with my colleague, Samantha Macy. So we've been talking about a lot of the flexibility for 529 plans and new options. So one of the newest came out in the Secure Act 2.0, and it is a new option that's going to be available uh, in 2024 to fund Roth IRAs. So Sam, do you want to just give some details around that new strategy?
2: Yes, so this new strategy is actually pretty exciting. It's available for the first time ever for a 529 plan. And it came out with the Secure Act 2.0. And what it did was introduce an additional way to use your 529 assets for non-education expenses with the ability to convert 529 funds to a Roth IRA. And, again, this is the first time that we're seeing this, and it's a really interesting option and could be a great fit for you. So the new legislation allows 529 assets to be converted to a Roth IRA in the name of the beneficiary on the original 529 account. You are allowed to move a max of $35,000 of 529 assets to the Roth in your lifetime. And to take advantage of the strategy, the 529 account must have been open for a minimum of 15 years. So if you are saving this for your child, more than likely, it has been open for 15 years, and if it hasn't, you can wait until it has been open 15 years. And any assets added to it within the last five years are ineligible for the conversions. You have to wait for those assets to have been in there five years to make that part of the conversion. Now, there is currently language that requires the beneficiary of the conversion to have earned income as well, and that's just like a traditional Roth IRA. You need to have earned income to make contributions directly to it. And Nicole and I have already experienced several client conversations where people are asking about this and want to know if it's relevant to their situation. We just had a meeting with someone this past week and the client's daughter isn't going to use her 529 assets fully. And it turns out she has close to the $35,000 in there right now. And so we discussed the Roth IRA conversion option, and I think that it will make a lot of sense for them, and that's the direction they're going to go. The account has been open more than 15 years, and she's just very close to that five-year ineligible conversion, so she might have to wait one or two years to do it. But the strategy is actually not allowed until 2024. So once those restrictions have been lifted, once it's the year 2024, it's something that we'll be looking into for, in particular, this client, and a part of all future conversations with our clients that have leftover
1: assets in their in their 529 plans. Thanks, Sam. And you know, it is thirty five thousand dollars over that lifetime of the beneficiary, but it is going to be subject to the same maximum. Um, contributions for that year. So as I mentioned this year, it's 6,500. So assuming it does not change before 2024, that would be the maximum in that single year. Uh, and and again, this is assuming that child is not making over the amounts that they can contribute to a Roth, right? Uh, be, those high income limits with, with which again, I don't know how many people coming out of college or or in their very early careers are making that much money. Good for them if they are. <laughs> But thanks very much for this, Sam. And, you know, one thing I will mention is it's not yet clear whether that changing the beneficiary on the account would, you know, set that 15 year mark back up again. So we are looking into that and just, you know, waiting for additional clarification. But we talked about changing beneficiaries before. So it's just not clear if that would do anything to the eligibility of the account uh, if you've changed the beneficiary within that 15 year time frame. Changing gears a bit, again, we'd love to hear from you if you have any uh, questions, 800-TALK-WGY, 800-825-5949. Uh, if you s- started with us at the beginning of the show, you heard Steve's message around women and wealth, and and that's something that we've been formalizing within our company of having a women and wealth in- initiative. Um, it's something that I've been part of uh, in a number of firms during my career, but I always say that this is the best group of people I've worked with in 20-plus years in financial services. And I'm very proud to say that over 50% of our um, professionals are women here at Boucher Financial Group. So Sam mentioned earlier that we are going to be hosting a stock uh, compensation webinar, but we're also going to be rolling out some women's events as well in the future. And, you know, why is this important? So, you know, Sam, if you just want to uh, share a couple of the the stats that we're seeing and working with our women clients. Yeah, so like Nicole was saying, this is something that is near and dear to
2: Steve and, it's actually something that's really important to the rest of our team as well. And so it's something that we're learning more about and we're trying to engage more with our clients. And, you know, there are a couple of stats out there that are really, um, just really interesting. Like the first one that caught my eye was women make up 46% of the workforce. And, you know, there's another stat out there that that says 84% of women say that understanding their finances is a key to greater career flexibility. And we want to be a part of that conversation. We we work with a lot of clients and a lot of couples, and in a traditional couple, we often see that the husband will take the lead. And that's we're not putting everyone in a box. That's not always the case. But when that does happen, we want to make sure that we're equally connecting with our female clients and making them feel heard and having in an experience that makes them feel like they are building trust with us as well, so that 's a little bit about what we 're looking to do and establish. Nicole from
1: your perspective what what do you think where our goal is with this yeah it's it 's really again building that trust, and you know as as we see that the average age a woman becomes a widow is fifty nine that 's very, very young. You know, and if we're talking about we do our financial plans out to 95, right, unless that person gets remarried, that could be 40 years that they're potentially, you know, managing their own wealth, but did not necessarily handle that earlier in their lives or in their careers. And a, a widow tends to outlive um, their spouse by 14 to 15 years, where in general, women outlive men by five years, you know, because again, in uh, uh, traditionally, we've seen a lot of marriages where the man, you know, might be several years older. So that 14 to 15 years Uh, on average, that they're having to manage wealth, we want to make sure that they are comfortable while both spouses are living, you know, with having those conversations and understanding, you know, that us as the advisor, as the fiduciary, that we're listening to them and what's important to them. Uh, I've worked with clients again for 15 years as an advisor, and I found that, you know, I've worked with couples that were wonderful, but honestly, the you know, that husband was saying, no, my wife has no interest in the investments or in the portfolio. But when we started talking about estate planning and long-term care, right? Then that person came in and said, you know what, I just had to, you know, sell my mother's home and put her in a nursing home. And I don't want to do this to my children. So we want to make sure we're engaging, again, not just women, but all of our clients on every level of what they need in their financial lives. No, we don't write estate documents. We don't sell insurance, but we're the ones we want you to come to us for guidance on that. Because again, we are a fiduciary and we are going to be objective in what we're recommending to you around those topics to better prepare you, right? So, you know, that's something that we wanna make sure we're doing. And again, pushing a little bit to say, hey, we really want to see, you know, both of you here, or we need to have a meeting with both of you at least once a year, just to make sure you have that level of comfort, that level of trust with us. You know, we see stats all of the time. And as Sam said, we're not looking to put anyone in a box, right? I am a female, I am older by seven years than my husband, and I'm a financial advisor and CPA. So, you know, my home life or my financial life may look very different. You know, what we see a lot is a lot of women are running the household budget and the day to day, but really that male counterpart is potentially handling the longer term investments and uh, retirement planning. So I know we've shared a lot with you today, you know, around the markets, around financial plans, employer stock compensation, you know, our Women in Wealth initiative. Please reach out to us if there's anything we can help with. Check our website, www.boucher.com, again, for a lot of great content, Sam's blog on 529 plans, uh, and also for upcoming events, the Stock Options webinar. You know, Again, we will be having Women in Wealth events uh, coming up soon. So you know, please reach out if we can help with anything. We really thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Money with Boucher Financial Group where we help our clients prioritize their health while we manage their wealth for life. Have a great day. With
2: Lucky Land Sluts,
0: you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky.
2: No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.